Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome back into the Moment of Guth podcast. Thank you for listening today. This week's guest is Ryan Nyquist, and for those of you who didn't grow up watching the X Games like I did, he's four-time X Game gold medalist, three-time BMX world champion. He's also slotted to be the coach of USA Cycling's first-ever BMX freestyle team in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. In this episode, Ryan talks about the impact COVID has had on the Olympic teams waiting for their chance to win the gold, how he got started on the bike, and a life-altering bet he made with his parents to not do backflips that led to him becoming one of the most accomplished BMX riders of our time. Joining me now on the Moment of Gluth podcast is four times X Game gold medalist and three times BMX world champion, Ryan Nyquist. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How's it going in Wilmington, North Carolina? Is, the, is it super hot? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I think it's in the 90s right now, but it, it's a, it feels like 102. So we have this thing called humidity, and it's, just, <laughs> it's nasty. It's really nasty. Yeah, humidity and I do not get along. I'm actually on the West Coast where you were born and raised, um, and I'm liking that dry heat, but it's finally cooled off a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully you guys get some rain. There's a lot of fires out there right now. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, So about this time last year, you were named the head coach of USA Cycling's first BMX freestyle team to compete at the Olympic Games. And COVID obviously took that opportunity to go to Tokyo this summer away from you. What are your thoughts on the missed opportunity? Um, A little bummed. You know, we, we were preparing. We had like a path. We were I feel like in a really good spot and, um, and yeah, COVID just really kind of, uh, deflated everything for everybody. Um, you know, we're looking at 2021, um, to go back to Tokyo and have that, but, uh, it just kind of threw a wrench in the spokes, if you will, of, uh, of what we were doing. So, um, I think right now our plan is just, we're forward looking to 2021. There's nothing happening in 2020 for us as far as Olympic points or even events. Well, the Olympic Games might have been canceled, but the NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Playoffs are underway, so take full advantage of sports being back and get in on the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So everything's kind of been put on pause, but, um, you know, from my standpoint, my mission has always been the same. It doesn't really change. Um, from the athlete standpoint, it was tough. A lot of people kind of felt lost there for a little while, you know, mm-hmm. like they had a clear direction. They had like a timeline. And then when COVID hit, it was just like, so what do I do? Do I continue training? Do I stop? Do like, you know, people just felt lost. And, um, you know, I basically told people, I was like, Hey, just, Take, take your time. Like literally there's nothing going on. So if you want to take two weeks off the bike to regroup and, you know, find your focus again, do that. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, it definitely was tough, but you know, we do have a goal. We're looking at 2021 and, and that's all we can do is just kind of look forward. Realistically, do you think 2021 is going to happen? Hard to say. I mean, I, I wish I had those inside lines and, you know, for those decision makers, but, um, you know, I, I tend not to listen to the mainstream media because I feel like I have a little bit better sources. So when the word does come down, whether it's 
it's happening or not, I, I tend to hear. And I haven't heard anything negative. So for me, that's, that's a positive. So we're going to keep thinking that's going to happen. We're going to kind of, you know, keep training and keep preparing. But um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. You know, like I think everybody's kind of taking this day by day, month by month and seeing what happens. You know, like here in the U.S., we're, you know, we're still on lockdown pretty heavily. But I see in other parts of the world, like things are kind of business as usual. So who knows where we'll be in a month or two months or, you know, another six months. Who knows? It could be a totally different scenario. What bums me out, what bums me out about the Olympics getting canceled this year is I think about the older athletes that this would have maybe been their last games and now they've got to wait another year and stay in shape another year. Is there anybody that you know that was particularly impacted by that scenario? On our team, not really. We have, um, we have some amazing talent, but most of our talent is pretty young. So they'll be in for at least another cycle or two or three sometimes. Um, so it didn't really impact it, but you know, I could see that being something where it's like, okay, especially if, you know, like there's been talk of it being canceled. So it's like, if that's the case, Oh my God, that would be, that would be tough. That'd be horrible because there are a lot of people that like, this is kind of like their last hurrah, like, you know, or, or maybe they work so hard, to get in there and to have not that opportunity to, to kind of back up the performances leading up to that. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all unfortunate, but you know, it's just, it's just hard to say what should and shouldn't be, you know, like we're all in the same boat. And I mean, the crazy thing is like, it's not just like one city or town. It's like the entire world <laughs> is in this boat <laughs> hanging out together, just trying to figure things out. So um, it's just, I mean, yeah, it's just bad stuff all around, but I'm trying to be positive and trying to just, hope that 2021 Tokyo happens and we go there and USA wins all the golds. That's just what we need to do. <laughs> I like that attitude. USA deserves yeah. golds after this year. Okay? <laughs> we'll <laughs> we take are whatever older. we can get. <laughs> exactly. Now, not many people have a list of accomplishments as long as you do. Let's rewind to the start of your career. What got you started in BMX? Um, I just always loved bikes um, from the very moment I got on one, I learned to ride one when I was three, and um, I loved the freedom. I loved the exhilaration, um, you know, from basically learning how to jump a bike into the grass by, you know, having like a piece of plywood on bricks to finding, you know, some uh, like dirt jumps and finding people that were just as passionate as I was, and it just never stopped. It was always just a constant challenge. And the weird thing was, is I was a very much, I grew up like a team sport kind of guy. I, I played like a lot of soccer. I was heavily involved with baseball. Um, and so it was a bit of a departure for me because it wasn't a team sport. It was just like, you went out there with your buddies, but you were really doing everything yourself. Like you didn't have to rely on somebody else to pull this trick. It was all about you. So um, it was, I don't know if that really captured me from the get-go, but um, it eventually took over because I remember in like junior, senior of high school, I was like on the varsity team of soccer and slowly it just started like BMX started coming up and soccer started going down. And I just, I just really loved what I was doing. And, you know, I didn't know where I was going to lead, but I just knew that I was following my heart because I just enjoyed it so much and loved it. BMX seems like such a scary sport to me. Was there ever, was your mom or your dad ever like, why didn't he just stick with soccer? Why does he have to pick the most dangerous one? <laughs> yeah, but I, we had some pretty funny conversations. Um, they never really wanted me to do backflips. They were terrified of me doing a backflip. And so we had, this is like when I was 15 or something like that. And I wanted like, 
you know, I wanted like a truck or something like that when I got my license. So, um, you know, we made this agreement. It was like, okay, if you promise us not to do backflips when you knew, when you're old enough to like get your license and stuff, we'll look at getting you like, you know, like a beater, like first truck kind of thing. It was not going to be fancy, but it was just going to be like a, basically like a cab where you could sit and stuff that you could put in the back, right? Like a place. And I remember I turned 16 and we went out like kind of looking at cars and we bought this like 1979 or 81 Honda Accord hatchback. And I was just like, this isn't a truck, <laughs> you know, <laughs> grateful to have a car so I could go ride. But I was just like, Oh, okay. Well now that's open. So I remember just being like backflips are happening now. And, you know, <laughs> so I didn't tell them about it, but I was just like, we had an agreement here. So let's, let's, uh, if we're not going to honor it, well, I'm going to start going upside down. So You're like the deal's um, off. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, a, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, there's definitely scary moments. Uh, you know, I think from the outside looking in, it always seems more terrifying. Um, you know, thinking about putting yourself in someone's shoes and they're flipping this giant set of doubles or going like a million feet up in the air on a quarter pipe. But, you know, we, we, we baby stepped our way there. You know, like I started um, by just popping wheelies, you know, like trying to like ride one handed. We all started the same way. It's just, you know, how far you took that. And so for me, it's like, it's been a long, long progression to get to the state I'm at now. But, um, you know, there's, there was many, many steps along that process of growing and progressing and learning different skills. So, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard to imagine myself jumping into my, into like a professional NFL player's shoes. Like, I would just be like, are you kidding me? Like, I'd be looking at this refrigerator trying to just tackle me and destroy me. But, you know, had I, you know, spent 20 years of my life playing the game and had a better understanding and conditioned myself. Well, who knows? But maybe football was a bad example. I'm only five, six. So that probably might not work out. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you were fresh out of high school when you made your debut at the 1997 X Games and went on to win the bronze medal in the BMX dirt events. Looking back at that now, after a career that spans over two decades, what would you tell young Ryan? Oh, um, that's a tough one, man, because I, I, I felt like the path I took was a good path. Um, it was, it was very fast from the get go. And, um, and I think maybe I would tell myself to just, uh, pay closer attention to the stuff that's happening around you, you know, like, um, from a business sense, uh, definitely from like a traveling sense, I felt like I, I saw the world and literally saw nothing. I was just so focused on riding and that I, I would literally travel to these amazing places and be like, okay, where's the hotel? Okay. Where's the venue? Okay. Where do we eat? Okay. And I sleep at the hotel and then just repeat that. And then where's the airport and I'd fly out. So I kind of wish I probably tell myself to just take that time. You know, if you're going to jump on a plane for 14 hours and go someplace, maybe spend another week enjoying that place. Um, so those stamps and the passports actually mean something. Cause right now I can look at the back of the passport and I can tell you what I did at certain places like a long time ago. And that's, that's kind of a bummer because I was fortunate enough to be in a situation that I could travel the world and I could go to these places. And I felt like I didn't take the time to really enjoy them or, you know, kind of experience the culture. So I probably tell myself to just slow down a little bit, but again, at the same time, I was pretty motivated and driven and focused. And so who knows if that would affect, you know, my performance and where I went in life. 
Well, it looks like you might have another chance to experience somewhere really cool. If Tokyo does happen, we're going to catch you sipping on some matcha and smelling the roses, I guess. Um, <laughs> Hopefully. Back to the Olympic coaching opportunity. Some of the guys you were going to be coaching were at one point your competition. Was there any bitterness amongst the group when you were named the coach? Um, I don't think there was bitterness. I think there was a bit of an adjustment uh, kind of shifting their uh, mindset of who I was in relationship to what they're doing. Um, you know, you're right. Like a lot of those guys were on the deck with me when we were, you know, battling out for, you know, spots and qualifying spots, final spots. Uh, so I think for a lot of those guys, it took a little while, especially the men, you know, the men on the men's side, it was just like, they had to be able to trust me and trust that I wasn't somehow trying to sabotage them or, you know, like, uh, gathering information, um, to like use against them because that stuff happens as, as your competitor, you know, you know, people's weaknesses. Um, so I think when I went into that coaching role, I had to kind of prove myself to a lot of them. And, um, I worked my butt off to try to gain that trust, you know, cause we had a very accelerated process as far as, um, when BMX freestyle got accepted to go in the Olympics we had about two and a half years to really get organized. So um, it was a bit of a sprint, but you know, um, with the men, I feel like we're in a good spot. Um, a lot of it was just learning how each one of those guys ticks and how they operate. Some guys are super motivated and they want you there and telling them that that trick was the best looking thing you've ever seen. And other guys are really quiet and they just, they'll let you know when they need something. Um, on the women's side, it really wasn't that, uh, that hard to get to know them and basically adjust to coaching because they'd never seen me as anything other than just a competitor. So for me to be able to step in and give them that competitive edge or that competitive insight uh, into how to basically uh, plan a run or select the tricks or anything like that, that came a lot easier. And honestly, I've been working with the women longer. I was doing kind of like pro bono coaching uh, before like there was an official position for coach in the USA. And a little bit of that was just kind of trying it out for myself to see if it was something that I could find a passion in. And after basically coaching some of the women for like about a year, I was like, there's a lot of reward here. Like a lot of, um, you know, like seeing someone work for something so hard and reap the benefit and you being a part of that process and helping them kind of find the, the path of least resistance. Like I, I really enjoyed that process and I still do. Um, so I think once I kind of had a, a year under the belt of coaching the women, you know, coaching the men as well became more of a possibility. BMX is one of those sports, like I mentioned, that I personally could never imagine trying. The thought of even trying a new trick and taking flight only to crash and hit the ground scares Jesus <laughs> out of me. And I <laughs> Zero parts of that appealing. What goes through your mind when you know you're going to crash? Uh, there's a lot of split second decisions. Um, you know, some people say they see things in slow motion. Um, I think a lot of it is, you know, relying on experience, uh, relying on other crashes in the past and knowing kind of how to, uh, you know, orientate your body like when to put an arm out and when not to, when to put a leg out and when not to, like, you know, you learn those things through your career, through your time riding bikes. Um, I've said multiple times that my, one of my greatest skills is learning how to crash and knowing how to crash. Um, 
because it's going to happen. And so if you know how to crash and you can get out of those scary situations, well, then you can get up and you can keep riding. You have a longer career. It's just, it's a big part of what we do. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, crashing is part of it. I just think that if you never crashed, you would never have the sense of failure either. And you'd never have that sense of like that battle to kind of come back. And to me, that's a very important lesson that these individual sports have is, you know, when you, when you fail or you crash or whatever is like, you know, pick yourself back up, you know, like let's try it again or let's think through that and let's be smart about what that mistake was. And let's, let's learn from that, you know, and I, I've always loved that process of, you know, the internal struggle, the battle and trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And I feel like there's so much growth that you have as a human when you go through that. Mm-hmm. And if you're, and if you're used to going through that battle, when it comes to real life, you know, like obviously we all have those moments where you get kind of like kicked to the curb and you feel bombed and you got to pick yourself up and, you know, whether it's reinventing yourself or trying it again or reapplying, whatever it is, you know, if you have tons of practice <laughs> slamming yourself on the ground and picking yourself back up, it becomes a little bit easier to do that in real life. That's very relatable to me. I have tons of practice of metaphorically crashing. <laughs> See, there you go. You have like the metaphorical helmet on and everything. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah. Um, without the bruises. Uh, physically. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. This podcast is really being about true who you are and the journey it takes to sometimes get there. And I like to ask this of every guest that comes on this podcast. Was there ever a time in your career or personal life when you knew you were or weren't being authentic to yourself? And what did you learn from it? Yeah. Um, many, many times. And I think like another thing that it's hard to kind of approach a situation when you, um, know that you're not being true to yourself or something doesn't feel right. And you have to speak up about it. That's a really difficult thing. And like anything with practice, it becomes easier, but that first one is, is very, very hard. And for me, the one that sticks out is, you know, um, and it wasn't really even like a competition setting or anything. It was more just like I was, I was hanging out with people that I knew we didn't have like the same stuff in common. We didn't have the same drive. And sometimes that affects the way that you act personally. For me, I was doing things that were just like, that I didn't even like, you know, and it got so far that I, I kind of forgot who I was. I was, I was eating at places that I didn't like. I was, you know, golfing every day and I wasn't that big of a golfer. I was just, I was kind of following along with this, with this crew and this person. And, and I forgot who I was. And that was kind of a scary moment for me because, you know, like when you forget like what makes you tick and what makes you happy, you feel completely lost in life. You know, like, like I always knew I had a passion for bike riding that was always there. But outside of that, I was like, yeah, what do I like to do? Like, do I like eating this every single day? Do I like going to this restaurant? Like, you know, it sounds very small and, and trivial, but there were so many of those little things that it added up to there. I, I was like, who am I? Like who, I know I love riding bikes, but outside of that, who am I? And for me, I, I took a very drastic step. Um, at the same time, I had a, a crew of, a crew of really great friends that were basically leaving this was, I lived in Greenville, North Carolina when all this was going on. They were leaving Greenville to just go live somewhere else for like six months. Mm-hmm. And I remember going like, that sounds amazing. And it was right about that time I was like kind of unhappy and I was trying to figure things out. And, and I just remember going like, 
can I come with you? And we moved to Salt Lake City. It was like five of us, you know, like we, we rented this place. It was amazing, just fun time. We just rode, we just hung out. We just, it was, it was great, you know, like it was awesome. And I remember during that process, I really had like these moments where I got to discover who I was, you know, and what made me tick. And I think from that point onwards, I was able to see things differently and also was able to kind of like stick up for myself when things weren't right or didn't feel right or stick up for others too. You know, like it just, it gave me a lot of confidence to basically go out there and say like, okay, like, you know, this isn't right, you know, and being able to approach that in a way so that it could work for all parties involved, you know, like I'd never really been a very black and white guy. This is very, there's a ton of gray area I feel like. And so, you know, I was able to approach situations and find that gray area that, you know, hopefully wasn't just like me taking and taking and taking because it wasn't right for me, but, you know, finding what the right solution was for everybody involved. And again, that's practice. That's a lot of stuff. But for me, that was a very big part of my life was just getting out of my environment and putting myself someplace completely different to be able to learn, you know, how to do that. Sometimes I ask those questions because I personally just enjoy the life advice, but that one really rang true to me because it sounds like you protected your energy from people that you knew weren't aligned with your greater good. And the outcome was you finding yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, honestly, it, it, it translated into a happier me, a better writer, you know, like I had a better mindset. Um, I was able to kind of open my mind to a lot of different views on you know, with MBMX, because there's all these clicks and different ways of looking and stuff, but I wasn't taking things so personally and I wasn't so combative. And I felt like when, before that trip to Salt Lake City, I was, I was really, it was really hard for me to see things like that. And, and honestly, I met some amazing people during that time that I probably wouldn't have uh, taken the time or stepped out of my comfort zone to meet them, you know, because it was, oh, they're part of that crew over there and we don't talk. You know, and it was just like a lot of really cool things happened for me stepping outside of that and, and friendships that I think will last a lifetime. So I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was presented that opportunity, but also very happy that I took it and took the time to kind of rediscover myself. That's incredible. I'm happy to hear that story. Um, Thank you. When you're not doing BMX or running your spin studio in Wilmington, North Carolina, what is it that you love to do? Uh, I like doing things with my hands. I like building, I like working. Um, I like learning about stuff. Um, I go to YouTube University, I'm enrolled there. It's a very popular thing in my household when trying to figure things out. Um, whether it's, uh, you know, the video game of my son that's completely stalled and how to re reset that or, um, you know, like I'm, I'm in the, the psych room right now at our gym and I've been learning how to install a video system so we can do live streaming and record workouts to be able to upload. And I didn't know anything about that. So I, I really enjoy the process of learning. Um, what I really need to work on is uh, I get to about 80% and then I'm like, I'm good. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> and then I, 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 had, I like the 20% is always like that, like, come on, man, just, just see it through. And I'm actually in that 20% now. And it's really, really hard for me to sit down <laughs> and finish this project because it's like, it's so close and I, I understand it, but I just, it's like that, those last little details that trouble, I, I have trouble with like finishing it all. So, yeah. I identify with that as well. I, res I resist things that I know, like just, it's right there, I can finish it, but 
just don't want to. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very easy to just to just like yeah, we'll we'll get to that later until that pile gets like so big of those later on uh, tasks. It's like okay, but yeah, this one I need to get this one done soon. So that surprises me about you with all of the medals and honors that you want achieved in one that you uh, quit on YouTube's. <laughs> Oh, hundred percent, man. There's uh, <laughs> with the internet and YouTube. I mean, you could learn anything, you know, like it's, I've, I've, yeah. Like I I'm, I'm to the point where like, I would love to build my own house and I would probably <laughs> just watch YouTube videos on how to do the electrical, do the plumbing, like, you know, how to trust the roof. Like I would, I would seriously like, I feel like that'd be the better way to do it. There's, there's so many people out there that are smarter than I am about stuff like that. So I'll learn from them and, and, you know, maybe it'll turn out like a, It'll be like a cool cricket house. <laughs> a little cricket house. Uh, my YouTube searches are nothing like yours. They are like how to manifest your dream life. And like, well, that's, to- that's, that's not a bad thing either, really, to spend your time <laughs> looking for. Thank God for YouTube. Shout out to them. Uh, <laughs> at the end of this podcast, I like to play a game, Two Truths and a Lie, where you tell me two truths about yourself and one lie, and I have to guess which the lie is. Okay. Um, Okay, I've been in Playgirl magazine. Um, <laughs> I've I've uh, I've ridden in a Russian MiG fighter jet, um, and uh, I'm allergic to bee stings. You're my first guess with. Um, this obscure of truth and lies <laughs> okay <laughs> that's good because go I, I literally i well i knew something like this was coming up and i was trying to think of stuff but i just i didn't have the time to really think of anything so this is all on the fly so this is good i'm glad there's some variety in there for you <laughs> i'm gonna go with the bee stings as the lie yeah you got me i think i should have thrown that one in the middle no the first two the, those are really cool things i mean I should have known when I asked you these questions that I was going to get those answers. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, the, I wasn't, okay, so I was in Playgirl magazine, but I wasn't naked, so that, <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but I was like an article, so I always, I think that's a funny little thing to say. <laughs> I hope your wife framed it and put it in your house. <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> in the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on. And I do hope that we get to see you coach next year at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Looking forward to see what you do next. And where can we find you on YouTube? Uh, I have a YouTube channel. I don't really occupy it much, although I've been having really strong thoughts about doing it. But, you know, I'm on Instagram uh, at Ryan Nyquist. It's R-Y-A-N-N-Y-Q-U-I-S-T. It's like Nyquil, but with an ist. Um, <laughs> And uh, that's where I spend a lot of my social media time is on, uh, on basically Instagram. So you can find me on there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining. And it was great to meet you. Absolutely. Great to meet you too. Thank you for listening to the Moment of Cluth podcast, now available anywhere you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Meng Cluth. If you enjoyed this episode, please download it and share with others. Subscribe to be notified when new episodes air, visit MeganCluth.com to get in touch, head over to my YouTube page to watch my latest interviews, and stay tuned for more great conversations. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.